Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back. We have, well, as one person liked to say, we're here for the lathing. We're talking about lathes. Well, we're talking about wood turning, but we prefer to call it lathing because it sounds sexier. Well, at least it does to me. I don't know about Tom and Tanda. I find it sexier. Tom, what skill class is lathing? Oh, it's a solid four or a solid eight. That, well, well, you mean it's like a four, two, and eight? Uh, no. Okay, yeah, that works for me. <clears throat> Tanda, what did you find in your research on lathing? I think something that is interesting that gets mentioned every once in a while is that a lathe is one of the few tools you can use to make itself as well as a number of other tools. So it's often mentioned as if you were to build a shop, the first tool that you should get because of the variety of things that you can make with a lathe, including things that you would traditionally think you should use a mill for, or you would use a mill for, or other tools. But there's usually a way you can make it on the lathe. And so one thing that I found many years ago that I found to be interesting, a set of books uh, by Dave Gingery. And they start out, it's I think seven books. And the first book is the charcoal foundry. And so it's basically building a shop from scrap. And you start out with the charcoal foundry. And that's book number one. And the second book is building a metal lathe out of the scrap that you've melted in the foundry and use basic you know, hand tools. Tanda, I used charcoals when I was in college, and I mean, they're great for sketching things out, but I don't see exactly how you're going to build a shop with, I mean, are you just doing like charcoal blueprints? I mean, would they be black prints? I don't, I don't know. How does that work? Oh, you, you have to use a variety of different colors, and you collect them up, and then when you put them together, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you slam them together hard enough, it gets very hot, and you can use it to melt metal. You are probably just rubbing them on paper. Yeah, I mean that's that's what they told me to do. That maybe I had a bad teacher. I don't know. It's, it's you're using colors. Are you sure it's not pastels? I uh, you know, I think Dave used mostly black cuz that was he was, you know, kind of black and white sort of approach to things. I he was quoted as saying he's spent most of his career trying to make a $50 project with 50 cents worth of stuff or something to that effect. I love 50 cents music. I'm not as big a fan. <laughs> I know Tom is. You mean at like the diner when you put 50 cents in and you pick a song? Yeah, that's where you listen to 50 cents music at the diner. Right. Like, uh, you know, like in the club. Naturally. That's you know, it's thought. your birthday. I love all those. That's the greatest. Now, now, did he start out and then through inflation became 50 cent or or was he always 50 cent? I did not do any research on 50 cents. I don't know. Kind of funny economics there. I mean, I have to guess that he initially started out as maybe like 25 cent when he was younger. And then, you know, he just got to a point where he hit it big and it was 50 cent. You know, I mean, he was probably 30 cent at some point, maybe when he was like, you know, 13. Right. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm just guessing here. I don't I have no facts to, you know, to back this up. It could have been. Could have been. Sounds better than two quarters. I agree with you there. So, so, so you're, you were saying that you, you smash stuff together and you make it hot and then that, that makes a workshop? Yeah, then you can melt metal and start making a workshop. And so you can move on to doing a metal shaper. 
book three, and then book four is a milling machine, book five is a drill press, book six is a dividing head, and basically you start out with scrap metal, and uh, I think his original forge was like one of the, if you've heard of the flower pot forges, uh, or foundries, you know, the, the concept of starting with scrap metal and building a metalworking shop is kind of a, an interesting undertaking. I always, I, I've heard that before where, you know, it's the only tool that can make itself. Now I've, I recently restored my lathe and you can't make that without castings. So I don't fully agree or understand that concept. Well, but you can make castings without a machine tool, right? I mean, you can make castings with sand and wood and, and a foundry. Sure. Yeah. But those are all tools. I would argue that the only tool on the planet that can reproduce itself is a hammer. I've known some tools that have reproduced themselves. I've seen their kids. (laughs) Well played. Well played. She's got you there, Tom. (laughs) Yes. PJ, what'd you find out? Well, uh, much like what Tanda was saying, I did some research on where lathes came from, and one thing that kind of this phrase popped up several times is that a lathe is known as the mother of machine tools and that a lathe can pretty much make every other machine tool out there and while it was very you know popular during the industrial revolution earliest evidence of a lathe dates back to ancient egypt 1300 bc and i found several websites that actually credit the greeks as having invented lathes but they're listed as inventing it much later than 1300 BC. So, chew on that. Moving up in time, however, it seems like the 1700s were the like the heyday of lathe um, engineering, I guess would be the p- way to put it. Like, things really started happening with it going from being a rudimentary lathe into like a lathe that has a, like a cross slide and a lot of other uh, fine detailed controls. Uh, everything before then was just basically something that spun another thing for you to shape. But that was like the historical aspect of things. The thing that I found interesting, which I did not realize, is that there are a lot of different kinds of lathes. Most people, when you say lathe, they think of either a woodworking lathe or they think of a metalworking lathe. But there's also duplicating lathes for making shapes that are the exact same. You can use it to trace along and it'll make you as many multiples as you want. There's a pattern maker's lathe, which is used for making patterns for foundries. Uh, This also has a, there's a spot on the other end of the headstock with a freestanding tool rest that you can make gigantic pieces that actually don't fit on the lathe itself. Then there are Q lathes, which, in case you can't guess, are for making billiard cues. Oh, man. And it's apparently a very specialized, it's such a gradual taper. I thought they were, I thought they were for making gadgets for 007. I was way off. I, initially, that's what I thought also. Be, you know, but no, it's, it's for a pool. Uh, then a lathe I've never even considered, a glassworking lathe. It has a... Uh, the way it's described is it has almost like a headstock on each end for, for pressing uh, the glass together. And then it's spun relatively slowly 
for either heating up sections of the glass to either uh, blow air into to enlarge or to use a glass tool to depress. To, to, so it's either you're enlarging or you're shrinking. Very interesting the way it's described. And then a secondary part of that is an attachment for diamond turning, uh, which is computer controlled, and it's used for making precision optical surfaces on glass. And the thing that I find interesting about this, the ways of that lathe float on air bearings. I don't know what an air bearing is, but I need to own one, like right now. I, I don't know, I gotta find out more information on that. Then we have metal spinning lathes, which is for taking a disc of sheet metal and uh, basically shaping it like if you were to make like a, a skillet, mm -hmm. you could use that uh, metal spinning lathe for that. Then we have ornamental turning lathes, which in case you can't figure it out from the name is for making decorative things. Then we have a reducing lathe. So if you got something that's, you know, a foot, you wanna make it 10 inches or five inches, you use that and it'll just, uh, it's exponential. You just set it up however much you want it to go. And then there's only three more here. We got a rotary lathe, which is for, you, you set it up, it's like a giant shaver. You put a log on there and it will shave off a specific thickness of wood and this is how you make veneers or plywood. You got a uh, watchmaker's lathe, which is, you know, for watches. And then you've got recording lathes, which is for making records, which I thought was cool. I didn't think a, a record recording machine was actually considered a lathe. Yeah, if you want to see some neat use of, uh, of glass blowing lathes, just to, as an aside, uh, if you're familiar with, with what Nixie tubes are, like you've seen like the old electronics tubes that have a set of numbers in them and the yeah. actual lights, uh, there's a guy making Nixie tubes because they haven't been made in many years new. And he undertook make, making Nixie tubes from scratch and starting an operation to do so. And so if you Google Farney Nixie tubes, F-A-R-N-E-Y, actually, I think it's just F-A-R-N-Y, he set up a whole shop to build Nixie tubes from scratch. And he uses, you know, the glass lathes to do the tubes for that. Very, very cool. Is that the guy that was putting people's, he was putting people's logos in them? Uh, there are some people doing that. And I think he may have, yeah, he may have done some where he was etching the grids that were people's logos so that the, the grid inside the Nixie tube were That's company crazy. logos and stuff. But there's some, there's some neat glass blowing hmm. lathe stuff in that. Yeah. I have seen that. Okay. So the thing that I was looking for, um, which I, I kind of missed when I was talking about the ornamental turning lathes. Uh, in that same category is a rose engine lathe, which if you guys have ever seen this, it's probably one of the most Ooh. complicated machines ever. But you don't have to see it to know what it's for. If you've ever seen a pocket watch that has a uniquely engraved design on the disc, that was made with a rose engine. It's for making these really intricate types of designs. I know someone locally that owns one, and it's in pristine condition. I want to get one of those. I, I met the guy at a machinist meetup a month before COVID hit. So I have not been to his shop yet, but I'm, I'm anticipating that day. Are, are you going to have him like Rose engine a whole bunch of stuff for you? Oh yeah, for sure. He does run it. Uh, you can, I think he's even attached like a ballpoint pen to it just to draw on paper, but it puts that, it can put that a design on the face or on the perimeter, I suppose 
of of a round object. It's very neat. Tom, hmm. did we get your your lathing research? I can't remember. No, and I'm glad you didn't. Uh, but this is how divided the term lathing is, and I don't mean turning versus lathing, but wood lathing versus metal lathing. Until you opened the show, I thought we were talking about all kinds of lathing, which I guess you did. But when I think of lathing, I think of metal turning, because that's what I do, or that's what I have here. Uh, I've owned a, a wood lathe in the past. I think of metal lathing because it has... Hmm, I don't think wood turning has revolutionized the world. Definitely not quite like metal turning has, and what the metal lathe has done. And that's not even going into what the, the milling machine has done. But years ago, I went to the Precision Museum in Vermont with a bunch of maker friends. And in that museum, it was an old, it's an old factory. It's rather small. I mean, for a factory, it's small, but not for the 1700s. But it is like the birthplace of precision machining. The drive or the motivation behind precision machining was to make interchangeable parts for rifles, specifically for the uh, Revolutionary War, not the Civil War. So Revolutionary War, the the screw-turning lathe, or the screw lathe, however you want to say that, was basically invented right around 1800. Like, 1795, somebody came out with something, and then 1800, what's his name, Mosley? I had it up here. Henry Mosley, I think. He, he basically created the lathe that we know today. Now, it's not a, it wasn't a novel idea. He just kind of put all the right bits and pieces together to make this thing amazing. And the problem before this was that if you had, if you're in the field with an army and a rifle is broken, you, can't, you couldn't take apart another rifle to fix that rifle without serious gunsmithing. And with all of these new machines not just a lathe, but all these new machines, they could create these interchangeable parts, which basically won, which is the reason why the North won the revolution, shoot, Revolutionary War, Civil War. <laughs> I mixed up my wars there. Yes. In school, we were we were taught that, you know, Eli Whitney did this presentation of the interchangeable gun parts and, you know, presented the, the concept. I've heard that you know, those were kind of hand-picked. I mean, the concept was true. It was kind of like, uh, you know, Mendel and genetics. The The concept was accurate, but what they actually presented was was fudged a little to make their case, knowing that, you know, we would get to the accuracy of it later. I love fudge. Which I found found interesting. Cool. Fudge is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm more of a chocolate guy myself. I like peanut butter fudge. If you're going to fudge it, <laughs> peanut butter fudge is good. Yeah, speaking of fudging it... Uh, I meant Civil War. If I said Revolutionary War, I meant Civil War the entire time. I mean, it's basically <laughs> the same thing, right? Yeah. It's time to sell a story. Let me tell you one. So, this week we don't have a dealer's corner, but we do have stories to tell you about tools. And I've got two good stories. I know Tom's got one. I don't know if Tanda's going to chime in or not. She's being very cagey about it. But since we're talking about lathing, I'm going to tell you a lathe story, which was right before I got into, officially got my Maker Community membership card. This was back when I was just, had the hint of a DeResta. And I had first figured out that blueberry wood 
was beautiful and that nobody was using it. But blueberry wood does not get very thick. Like, if you get a big piece, it's maybe the diameter of a silver dollar. But I figured, hey, I know people make pens out of wood. I bet I could use this blueberry wood to make pens, but you need a lathe for that. I didn't own a lathe. I knew they were expensive, so I started looking on eBay for one. And I found a bad picture of one that said it was two feet long. And I won the auction for $56. And it was at a pawn shop in New Jersey. And when I say there was bad pictures, uh, there was one picture, and it was of the back, and you couldn't see any, any identifying marks at all. So I go to New Jersey. I drive down from Pennsylvania to pick this thing up. And I said, I'm, I, I'm here to pick up the lathe. I want it off of eBay. And they looked at me dead in the face and said, what lathe are you talking about? What, what, do, what do you mean? You, you guys sold a lathe. I want it. I paid you money. I, I want to pick it up. Oh, we, we don't know where it is. So then I had to take one of the employees and walk around their building, which it was not in their building. It was in the building next to their building where they put that they don't want to keep in their main building, quite literally. And to my surprise, this was not a two-foot lathe. It was a six-foot lathe. It was a craftsman professional, and it weighed about 200 pounds. But I did get it for $56. So... Uh, the guy that was walking around with me helped me get it into my truck. And then from there, I took it to my father's house because this thing was so big and heavy, I didn't actually have a workbench that I could hold it. So then I put it in his garage, drove back to Pennsylvania, and then built a bench out of a house that had been knocked down across the street. <laughs> there, was, there was a house that was sitting there vacant. The town owned it. They knocked it down, and I grabbed all the good wood. And the wood I just had, like, sitting around. And I'm like, oh, this would be perfect to make a workbench. So I make the workbench. I drive back. I get the lathe. I bring it to my workshop. And I made some blueberry wood pens, which nobody bought. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> then you fast forward three years. My maker card has been validated many times over. And I now have more tools than I know what to do with. And this lathe is sitting there taking up an entire workbench. And I don't, I need the room, okay? I'm not using it to make pens anymore because no one bought the pens. And there's just this giant lathe that's basically for making furniture. It was overkill anyway. So I bought it for $56. I do a little research. And I find that most lathes are going for like two, $300. But I want it out of there. And it happened to be Memorial Day weekend. I posted up for 150 bucks, and I literally had people fighting over it. And I had like 13 guys. They're all like, oh, man, I want it. I want to come get it. I'm like, oh, well, come get it. Oh, I got plans with my wife. She'll kill me. It's a holiday weekend. I'm like, all right, well, don't get murdered by your wife. You know, somebody else will take it. Good choice. So this one guy uh, doesn't have a wife, apparently. He's like, I'm going to come get it on Friday. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Well, Friday comes around, and I'm like, are, are you still coming? He goes, I didn't realize you're over two hours away from me. I'm not coming. You, you, you couldn't tell me that beforehand. You didn't realize, you know, how to use a map. So then I recontact the other 12 guys, and this guy gets back to me a few hours later, and he says, do you still have the lathe? I said, yes. He said, would you take $100? And I said, no, I got eleven other guys that want it for hundred fifty bucks, and he goes, "All right, all right, all right, all right I, I'm, don't worry, I'm gonna get the money, 
I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I, I got to find a truck. Don't, don't, don't sell it to anybody else. I'll, I'll get there. He was there 30 minutes later, okay? Now, that, that, what I'm going to explain to you took about five minutes. He gets there with his friend that has a jacked-up Ford pickup truck. And when I say jacked-up, I mean it's like four feet off the ground, higher than a normal Ford pickup truck. Like, it looks like a monster truck. And by the way, his friend was like four feet tall. He was like the tiniest friend I've ever seen. The guy that was buying it was taller than me. He was like seven foot. He looked like if a caveman had somehow made it to modern day. And he, he runs over to me and puts like this sweaty wad of cash in my hand. There was five 20s and literally 50 crumpled up $1 bills. Like he had just robbed a hooker or a stripper or something. I don't know where he got this money from. But he, like I counted out. He goes, we good? I'm like, yeah. Him and his friend like ran into the shop, grabbed the lathe, loaded it onto the truck, and then took off. And I, literally, this was like five minutes. Like they were stealing it from me. And then that was the end of that lathe. Yeah, two uh, two hours is a long ways away from home if you don't have a wife to give you directions. Guy probably was fearful of getting lost. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, Tom, you want to tell us uh, your story? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, no potential hookers in my story, but. I'll tell it nonetheless. Yeah, so I got two metal lathes for free at different times, but from a very similar location. My uh, my father works at an industrial scale uh, worked at an industrial scale maker. I don't know what to call them, and we've talked about them before. I think one of the guys he works with had a metal lathe. I just did air quotes on video. That doesn't play well on a podcast. But he said he had a metal lathe or a lathe or something and wasn't sure. And he also had a sewing machine and it sounded confused. And I was like, whatever, I'll take it. You know, he was giving it up. He knew I was into this stuff. I was like, I'll take it. Uh, and he and it was just very vague. And then my father, so he gives it to my father and my and he brings it over and it's in the trunk of his sedan. So I'm like, all right, what could this thing be? And I, he opens up the trunk and sitting there is about maybe two feet long. I didn't know anything about it, but... It's a, it's a toolmaker's lathe. So it's not quite a watchmaker's lathe, which would be even smaller, but a toolmaker's lathe. I don't know why it's called that, but I guess you make tools on it. It's, it's very useful. It's a screw lathe, so you can, you can uh, do threading on it and things like that. But it was, it was a disaster. It was in pretty bad shape. It looked like it had been living in the basement of his house on kind of the tail, like leaning up on the, on the tailstock end because the bottom like six inches was just rusted and f like fuzzy rust, like bad, bad rust. So with some evapo rust, I fully restored the, fully restored the lathe and it's actually sitting behind me right now. Can this everyone see that? That no one else can see. Yeah. Can you see yeah, it? Can here, I'll, see I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, right move here? over to the right. left can you see it? a little bit right, so our listeners right can see it. My finger. Right above yeah. my finger. Yes. Listen okay, closer. Yeah. Listen Good. closer. Thanks. Listen. <laughs> Open your eyes. So I fully restored it. It's a beautiful machine. I went onto a Facebook group and posted some pictures and I said, hey, I've never used one of these. Like I've never used a metal lathe before. What, you know, can I, is this an okay thing for me to practice on? And I basically got threatened uh, that if I ever turned it on or used it, um, I would be banished from all machinist groups for the rest of my life. And apparently, there is a collector's market for lathes. 
I had no idea. So this lathe, it's hard to know because it is it is basically one of one. Uh, I haven't found any others on the interweb. The it's a Lorch, L-O-R-C-H, L-A is the model number, model letter, whatever. It's the first of its lineage. Shortly after, they came out with the L-A-N. I have no idea what the difference is, except that it is a little different. There's a few other parts on it. And it's from uh, 1939, uh, is the original date of when these lathes were made. Now, I have no idea if this is 1939, but I do know that it's no later than 45, because it was taken by the guy that gave it to me. His his father-in-law took it from Germany during World War II as an American soldier, and uh, he stole it. I mean, they looted Germany, right? Let's just get over that. So he took it back from Germany and never used it because he just, I don't think he knew what it was. But I have all the tooling, like all of the tooling you can think of for this lathe. I have it intact. I have what I believe to be all of the change gears, which are the gears that change the speed of the thread, uh, the lead screw, which changes the pitch that you're cutting a, a screw at. And it's also a, a metric lathe, which is incredibly rare this side of the pond because uh, nobody uses a metric lathe here. So if I need metric threads, I can cut them on this. Whereas on your on your imperial lathe, you just you simply can't. You can come close and you can and you can buy gears to make it even closer, but it's kind of a cool tool to have. As a descendant of uh, German immigrants. Uh... I've called them, and and we want our lathe back. <laughs> to to be to be fair, my my uh, opa, who's my grandfather, was in the German Navy during World War II. So I think they did enough stuff where we can take a lathe. It'll be all right. So I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that the LA model was originally meant for California, and the land model was for computer hookups for land parties. Yeah, it was. Uh, you're right. The newer model was the LAN, and that. Um, added internet connectivity in 1947. Right, that's so. what the N is for, internet. Right, internet. Yeah, you could hook it up for CNC through the through the LAN. <laughs> how, how do you spell that, internet? You know, how, you know how to spell it, Tom. With with a, with an I. So my second story, I love I love Tom's late story, but I don't I don't have any Germans in mind. Uh, I do have an interesting chain of events. There's a guy up the hill from me that had a double garage, uh, it was, I don't know how big it is, but it's big. It's it's an industrial size that was originally a gas station, and then the gas part of it was removed, and it still says H&W Oil up on top. And it's basically like the size of a barn. He was having a continuous garage sale for about three and a half years. So every time I would stop by and when he had the doors open, there would always be like new stuff because people just kept giving him things like family members and friends. They didn't, didn't want stuff. And they're like, here, sell this at your garage sale that never ends. And so I'd always stop by and I've gotten a few deals from him. But this one time I stopped by, I look around and I don't see anything. And he goes, are you sure you don't want something? I'm like, man, you got a lot of stuff here, but it's just nothing that I really see I could use. And he goes... Anything you see here is free. I said, but what? What do you mean it's free? I mean, free is my price, but this is a little suspicious here. And he goes, well, I'm selling this place to my nephew, 
and I told him that I would give him the place, but all the stuff that's in it is still mine. So I'm trying to clear it out because I don't want to give him all my stuff. And I said, okay, that sounds fantastic, but that, that doesn't, I still don't see anything that I, I want. Now, the area that I was looking in was like a quarter of the garage because that's how he sort of had everything roped off for this one quarter, of, like half of a bay. And he goes, well, you can look in the rest of the garage. And I said, oh. And so I went looking around, and there was all kinds of stuff in there. But the thing I want to focus on is there was a large five-and-a-half-inch jaw vice mounted to a bench. Now, it sounds nice because it's five-and-a-half inches. And it said buffalo on the side, but this is a China-made vice. It wasn't very old. My guess is it was probably, at the outset, 30 years old, which is like, you know, 80s. So I look at this and I said, hey, how about this vice? And he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, oh, that was my daddy's vice. I can't give you that for free. I'm like, uh, okay, so, so I can't have it. He goes, well, I got to charge you for it. Okay, name a price. $5. Yeah, it's yours. Take it. <laughs> so I got this vice for $5. Now, this thing was a rusty mess. And by a rusty mess, I mean it sounded like the bottom half of Tom's lathe that had been sitting in the basement. It was it was like every kind of rusty you could imagine. It took quite a bit of doing to get it off of there. So anyway, I got it back to my shop. I did all kinds of things. I evaporated it. I wire wheeled it. I, I, you know, spit shined it. Everything you could think of. And then I gave it an awesome gold, silver, and red paint job. And then it's and I, I listed it for I think like 150 bucks. And it sat on Marketplace for well over a year. And basically, nobody would take it. Then we get to this guy that had a posting for a bunch of vices. And I went there and I picked up a Coachmaker's vice. I picked up uh, a Prentice swivel jaw vice and a whole bunch of other things. I bought like $150 worth of stuff from him. Like basically, he was selling to me dirt cheap. And then I left and then he calls me a week later. And he says, hey, are you interested in a baby bullet vice? Now, if you're not familiar with the baby Ooh. bullet vice, it's one of the sought-after, tiniest, cutest vices on the planet. This was a two-and-a-half-inch model. Didn't have the swivel base, but it was in okay condition. And I said, I am interested in that. But he also had another vice there, and he had a pipe vice that I had left there, I didn't take, that I thought I probably should have. So I basically told him I was interested in the three vices and that I would come back to get it. And so we're haggling over price. And basically, at one point, he says, I don't know, maybe I'll keep the vice. I kind of want it. And I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is going south real fast. And, and basically, I kind of bumped him up a little, and I got him to 130 bucks for all three vices. Now, the bullet vice alone is worth somewhere between... 400 to 600 dollars you know on a good day but as i'm the next day as i'm about to leave to go to this guy's place he's about an hour away a little light goes off and i go wait a minute he was thinking about keeping this he might need a vice so i packed up two three and a half inch wiltons and that five and a half inch chinese made vice and i take them over to this guy and i show him the vices and he totally ignores the Wiltons, which are way better quality. And he goes, I like that red vice, but I don't like the price. 
And I said, hey, hey, don't worry, man. The price is negotiable. We did an even swap. I gave him the $5 Chinese vice for a bullet vice and two other vices. And the reason I'm telling you that story is I just put that baby bullet vice in a bucket of Simple Green to get all the paint off of it, and I'm about to start restoring. I didn't heard a lot of stories in my day, but I never heard one like that before. Tanda, what's your personal history with lathing? With lathing? Um, you know, I think that the earliest I remember using a lathe was in woodshop, and that was probably in like eighth or ninth grade. And I, I made a few different uh, things that were like urns and bowls and so forth. But my my story from that, a friend of mine was turning a bowl on the lathe, and I was standing there watching her, and I was standing on the backside of the headstock, and this lathe had, you know, like that little tiny threaded protrusion out the, you know, so you could turn something really big on the backside of the headstock. And my shirt got caught on that. Ooh. And it just started wrapping up, wrapping up my shirt. And so I just got kind of sucked into this lathe. And fortunately, the power switch was, was right there. And so as I'm, as I'm standing there watching, then just suddenly I feel myself getting pulled forward and I, I turn off the lathe. And then, of course, we don't want to, you know, at, at that age, your biggest fear is getting in trouble, you know, by the teacher. You know, your arm could get ripped off and you'd be like hiding it back in the back of the room. Like, <laughs> we don't want to get in trouble. Hide that arm. Put it, put it back, put it in the trash can. Cover it up with some stuff. We'll, we'll call the bleeding. doctor later. I'm yeah. You know, yeah. and so we're like turning the bowl backwards to unwrap my shirt. And then, you know, we're standing there, you know, acting all innocent but of course i've got this like permanent twist in the whole front of my shirt and my shoulder seams are ripped out of my shirt yeah that was kind of that was kind of scary and happened happened really quick i didn't own a lathe probably until but the first lathe that i owned was a smithy three-in-one do you guys remember seeing those like in the back of popular mechanics or whatever smithy tool still sells machine tools and three-in-one but it was a lathe mill uh, combination so it had a, a milling head that swung out over the bed of the lathe and then the and the lathe uh, and you could use it as a drill press i guess as well the quill of the mill is 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 the third option does it make popcorn is it that what and it makes popcorn I, you know i yeah. think that they kind of were saying that you know you could use it as a drill press which is true of just about any mill and so that's kind of a cheap way to get a three-in-one and it, it worked. It was okay. I ended up selling it to make room for other other equipment and then didn't have a lathe for quite some time. And now I have, uh, I have three lathes. But one of my early fascinations with the lathes was a neighbor, this old man that lived across the street from us. His father, using this little lathe, probably similar in size to, to Tom's, so a little bigger than a watchmaker's lathe, but certainly small for a lathe, had made from memory, not using a kit or anything, he had made a steam tractor. And the wheels, if you you know think of like the old steam tractors with the steel wheels, the wheels were maybe 18 inches in diameter. So that's kind of the scale of the steam tractor. So the seat was, eh, you know, maybe the size of a ball cap or something. 
but all of the levers, the, you know, the little uh, spinning ball throttle, the wheels, all of the gears were cut with a hacksaw. Um, you know, he had made little wooden handles for the little like ratcheting levers where you set the throttles and stuff and it ran. And so he used to take this to like county fairs and he would use a burner. He didn't want to use coal in it, um, because he didn't want to mess it up. So he had like a little propane burner in a wagon or he had a propane bottle in a wagon that this tractor was pulling. And then the hoses ran up and fired the the boiler, he would pull this wagon around and people could ride on the wagon and this little tractor would pull the wagon around, but he had made all of the turned parts on this little tiny lathe. Tell me this guy now works for Tesla. No, this guy, um, they moved back to, to California. He used to work in, in tech and it was, and it was his father who, of course I never met. The, the gentleman who had the tractor was probably in his late seventies, early eighties. Um, and so this would have been back, you know, turn of the century when his father was growing up and working on these tractors and stuff and had just, you know, developed this fondness for those old tractors. And then from memory later on in life made this replica tractor. And so that kind of started my fascination with, with lathes. And now I have a little, you know, like a cheap central machinery seven by 10 lathe. I have a little wood lathe that's probably, I want to say it's maybe five inches, five by 18 inches or something like that. One of the jet wood lathes and a lot of tools for it that were given to me by a friend whose father was in a, was put into an assisted living and had a whole storage shed full of stuff and they didn't want the lathe. So that was given to me. And then I have my my bigger 13 by 40 inch lathe, metal lathe. But uh, they're certainly, you know, something that's a little more expensive tool, but they're very handy to have around when you're when you're trying to, you know, make parts fit or you're trying to make a part into something else and, and it saves you going down and having to buy or have someone else make a custom part. I, I lost count there. Was that 17 lathes, Tanda? How many was that? Well, you know, it's really kind of exponential because if you think about it, if I have three lathes and a lathe can make itself, then I could use those lathes to make a couple more lathes. And then I would have nine lathes if I made two with each of those and so on. So, you know, I could be overrun by lathes by the next show. So you, you have like an infinity of lathes. It's, it's, like, it's like if the Avengers needed to, to lathe something, they'd have an infinity lathe. Like that? Yes, exactly like that. I mean, you know, you know, there are not a lot of superheroes other than maybe Iron Man that, that, that use lathes on a regular basis. And I think it's a shame. I think they should have more representation in the superhero world. I agree 100%. You know who else would agree? Tom. Do you want to tell us about your, your, your agreement and your personal history that you haven't already shared about lathes? Yeah, I wasn't listening, but I agree wholeheartedly with whatever Tanda says, so that's always my position. My lathe experience is pretty recent. Five, four years ago, maybe, I bought a wood a wood lathe. It was one of those, uh, it was a Delta, I don't know, it was like the, it was a MIDI, M-I-D-I lathe, MIDI lathe. I think they still sell them. I bought it used, I, it came with a bunch of stuff, like pen kits and 
all, I, like three, four sets of turning tools, a whole bunch of stuff. I got a great deal on it. And I used it a little bit, and I made some pens, and that was cool. I'm glad I learned that. And I could see the potential for doing other things, but it is one of those things that is a hobby unto itself. It is it is all-consuming, or could can be all-consuming. I think that's why a lot of people that have them and also have a full wood shop don't use them that often, because it is, it's its own thing. You know, if you're making a bowl or a decorative thing, that's all you're doing. You know, the whole, the, everything about that project happens on that one tool. Uh, now you could talk about, you know, sizing stock before it goes to the lathe and stuff, but that's, that's not, that's not a strong argument for having one in the shop, I guess. But then I got, I got rid of that not too long ago to uh, somebody in the maker community. And I don't think I made any money on it. I just, I gave, I gave a, I passed along a good deal to a, to somebody else in the community. Uh, that was actually my second wood lathe. I bought one. It was an old Craftsman Dunlop from who knows when, maybe forties. I'm not sure. And I barely did anything on that thing, but I did stick a two by four on there and turn it. And it was awful. Don't do that. Use Oak or use a good piece of hardwood. Uh, it'll completely destroy your experience otherwise. And then I got a couple metal lathes. So I got that lathe I just talked about. And then I got, Another lathe from my dad's shop, um, my dad's company. What, how do I say this? The place my dad worked. It's a 1930s uh, South Bend 9A metal lathe, and it's beautiful. And it came with a bunch of tooling. I have, I have a lot of tooling. There's always more, but I have a lot of tooling for that thing, which enables you to really do a lot of stuff. A metal lathe is very different in the sense that you need a tool to do a specific thing. Whereas a metal or a wood lathe, it's like one set of carving tools kind of does everything. So if you want to put, you know, a chamfer or a roundover on a part on a metal lathe, you need a chamfer tool, you need a roundover tool, you need the right size roundover tool, you need you need everything. Uh, so I'm very fortunate to have all that stuff. Or you need a high-speed tool steel blank and a grinder. Right. Right. And and a piece of paper to go over your lathe bed. <laughs> well, no, you grind your you grind your tool elsewhere. Oh, oh okay. and and then come back and use it. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. I mean, I suppose you could put your grinder on your lathe, but that's a whole different operation. Uh, a lot of a lot of people do, and it's everybody cringes at it when they do that because all that uh, the the grit gets on your lathe bed, and then you pass your your apron over it or your compound over it. Yeah. Yeah, no, usually you see people doing that. They they cover their ways. Yeah, they, they do cover their ways. What do they cover their ways with? <laughs> I don't know. They probably get... Curds and whey. Curds and whey. I wish there was probably something that. at Johnson's for Curds it. and whey. Oh, true. yeah. Oh, yeah. So unlike the two of you, my lathing experience is rather limited. <clears throat> Other than what I've already said, I have a tiny bit more to add. When I dropped off that big lathe at my father's, and then I came to pick it back up, he goes, come with me. I'm like, all right, where are we going? We're going to the basement. So I follow him into the basement, and he goes, here, take this. And he hands me a box with a bowl-turning attachment. I'm like, what are you doing with this? Here, take these. Then he gives me about 20 two-foot-long bowl gouges. I'm like, where, where did all this stuff come from? I've never seen my father with a lathe, never seen him make a bowl, nothing. Here, I don't need these. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm making pens, but thanks. Yeah. So 
that that's it. I still have the stuff that he gave me. I've never been used before. And I really would love to get a metal lathe, but I, I just have zero space for it. And I was actually looking at one today. Somebody had an Atlas lathe, an Atlas metal lathe, $250 with tooling. Uh, there was two parts on it that were broken that needed to be repaired. But the ad literally said, I'm 80 years old. I don't use it anymore. It needs to go to somebody else. And I really want it, but I don't have the space, and I don't have $250 right now. So I just didn't get it. So that's it. That's that's my lathing. Something I, did, I do want to try is the spinning. And I do have a, a large number of light fixture bucks for doing metal spinning that were given to our local makerspace. And they were like, what are we going to do with these? Oh, I know who will use them. Tando. Tando probably use them. And so... What's metal spinning? Uh, metal spinning is when you have a form that you, that you put on the headstock of a lathe and then you oh, push metal against the form to, uh, to form, form the metal. Oh, old Tony has a couple videos on it uh, of him trying to make something. Um, and, of course, you can find lots of stuff on it. There was a company here in town that had a huge operation making nose cones for missiles and such for many years. As soon as you said it, I, I remembered what it was. To describe it a little bit, you basically put like a round piece of sheet metal clamped between something and then you basically form it. You're pressing it and forming it into like, let's say a vase yeah. or a, or a yeah, vase. Yeah, or if you had the shape of a, of a vase or a nose cone or whatever on the headstock of your lathe, mm -hmm. and then you take a round disc and you slide the tailstock up to it with a, you know, with something to clamp, you know, not a, not a point on it, but something to clamp that round disc to the tip of that nose cone, just to use it as an example. And then usually you have a, a tool that has quite a bit of leverage. Either you have a, you know, some kind of, it's either mounted on a, on a tool rest that allows you to twist and pivot it, or you just have a lot of force you have a large tool that you then just push the the metal disc against the shape as it's turning and and smash it into the very cool i remember his videos and i recall it being a very difficult yeah yeah uh, easy it's to get definitely right. there's definitely an art to it and i think you have to uh probably stop and anneal the metal especially different types of metals every once in a while because it work hardens and then it starts getting out of hand and doing weird things. And, and I got all of those, but I have to make an adapter for, um, there may be two or three that I can use on my lathe without raising the headstock higher above the table. But all I have to do is make an adapter because they all, fortunately, they all came from the same place. And so I think, and I may be wrong, but I think you call it a buck in that industry. So the form that you spin against they all have the same mounting hole configuration. I have no tooling to mount to those holes, but all of the forms have the same set of holes and you know they were all mounted on the same headstock at some point. So if I make something to transition from the headstock on my lathe to that, then I can use any of them that are small enough to fit on my little lathe. And if I make a, if made some, a riser block to raise the head up, then I could use most of them. Tanda, exactly. How long is it going to take you to get this thing going? Because I've got about a dozen unfinished missiles here that need uh, nose cones. 
Well, if I would have known that there was a market, I would have I would have got on it. Don't we all? And, and these are, you know, kind of that those bullet shaped uh, lamps. I'm pretty sure that that's what uh, most of the tooling for this were <laughs> were for. It is you know you kind of picture that stereotypical um, hanging light fixture, kind of a pendant lamp. I have lots of variations on that shape and the you know kind of larger flat shape. I don't know my architecture well enough to know what it would be, but like the sort of thing you'd have hanging over your table at the pizza parlor. Yes, yes, Tanda. I know. We're going to air quotes, get some lamps made because that's what I need. Sure, sure. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, be, I'll be sending the lamps and the solid rocket um, lamp lamp propellant. Yeah, that lamp. I need more lamp propellant, that too. Make sure you put that in the dimensional, in the rabbit hole. So that I can, you know. Yeah, lamp oil. Lamp oil, we'll call it. Yeah, I need some lamp oil. I need that. Send that too. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet Dunn at Johnson's Hardware. Have you found that your lathe just isn't as good-looking as it used to be? It needs some spicing up. Why don't you come down to Johnson's Hardware and pick up our lathe bedspread kit. We have a bedspread set for any lathe setup. Four post bed, no post bed. Use our bedspread with a spackle knife to get those ways perfectly smooth. Make it nice and buttery. So that way you can sleep on your lathe bed nice and tight. Act now and we'll throw in a free rubber bunny squeegee. Contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, you two. It's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with lathing? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Milling. Milling. I said it first. Milling. I said it first. I know you were throwing a Tanda, but I said milling Throw it to Tom first. She can go. You usually throw it to me first. I was about to say, Tanda, your voice sounded really deep when you answered. Milling. <laughs> oh, thank you. <clears throat> milling. milling. Yeah, milling. You can't you can't lathe without milling. Alright, you can, but why? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. That's a good question. Oh, you can definitely lathe without milling. Well, of course you can, but why would you? You 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 have to make things round and square. It's, it's, they go together like, like lamb and tuna fish. You've never seen anyone make something square on a lathe? No. Like, uh, yeah, I guess I have, uh, but it's, it's a gimmick. You're just faking it. I never fake it, Tom. Tanda, what skill goes well with lathing? Well, it's certainly not milling. Apparently not. Not because I believe that, but because Tom already said that. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Naturally. I would say maker scales, the most controversial of all the podcasts. Finger scales? Maker oh, scales? maker scales. I thought you said finger scales. I'm like, what the heck is a finger scale? Well, it'd be controversial podcasting too, I suppose. Yeah, lathe is kind of a standalone. I mean, certainly, I would say making, when it comes to metal lathe, I would say uh, precision, making precision things. Because you don't often, it's rare that you would put something on a lathe unless you're making maybe a handle for something, that you would put something on a lathe and just 
make it by eye. Uh, I mean, you do every once in a while, but usually when you're using a lathe, you're making it to an exact dimension. And that's, I think, kind of an odd difference between metal lathes and wood lathes because they're the, essentially they're the same tool, but one is very artistic and the other is kind of at the other extreme. This wouldn't happen to be to the pocket dimension that we created, would it? It's related. I mean, the dimensions that you're you're using when you're creating the lathe, uh, or when you're creating the lathe, when you're using the lathe, um, can be pocket dimensions. They can be metric dimensions, imperial dimensions, uh, the fourth dimension. I, there's nothing you can't make on a lathe. I really need to get a lathe again. Well, I, I, I don't not 100%. Well, I'm just going to come out and say it. The skill that pairs well for lathing, for me, is the reason that I want to lathe. It's knurling. And knurling is a skill. That's mm -hmm. I'm sticking to it. Knurling. I want. It's, it's a feature. A, it's a skill. Knurling's a feature. That's uh, yeah, a feature. It, you know what? I've seen people knurl badly. You can knurl badly. It is a skill. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't match your your diameter to your knurling tool, and it's a bad feature, and take a little bit of care, you can. You can cross neural. That's right. Say, cross neuraling. That's that's the worst. You're you're a cross neural. Once you get you know once you get everything cross neural, there's no way to untangle it. That's that's just you know you might as well just go to the doctor at that point. Oh yeah, and if you grip a tool with a cross neuraled handle, uh, nothing worse. All right, I'm just gonna keep driving into this. Neuraling is not a skill. It takes skill to neural. I don't know what skill, but not neuraling. Not neuraling skill. Mm. Does it take turning skill? To neural? Definitely. I don't agree. Agree to disagree. Well, it takes a, it takes a knurler. You know, I, I did a class um, at our local community center for the, for the national labs. They had to take the safety training. And just to make it interesting, we made uh, the little machinist clamps. And those have knurled handles on them. I think it was just because the drawing, everything was set up so that the dimension of the handles, if they made them correctly matched the neurals that they had and the dyes that were in the neurals that they had in the shop. But this was the first time any of them had neuraled anything and they almost always came out perfect. And so that may have misled them into thinking that, uh, that it was something that would always come out perfect. So I imagine a few of them went off and made something else and because they weren't using the, you know, the sample drawing and the neurals that, you know, had the, the pitch correct, you know, they probably were like, this worked great in the class. Yeah. Hey, PJ, sidebar? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, you notice that I think I'm up to like 3,000 classes that Tanda has done at the community center. Do you, are we still believing I this? actually have a segment for us to do called Tanda Teaches because every single show we have, she's taught some new class at this community center that I didn't even know existed. Everything. Everything. She's never named the community center either. I'm wondering... I think we should. Uh, I think we should vet this. You know, the bit. other thing that bothers me is when I asked her to teach me how to weld, she told me she wasn't a good teacher. <laughs> do you remember that? I do I, vividly. Yes, I do. Oh, she's I coming do. back. She's coming back. I, <clears throat> so, so, so they they messed up the neurals, Tanda. No, they didn't. They didn't mess up any of the neurals, which may have given them a false sense of uh, of neural ability. Uh, is that a real world word? Neural ability. Did I say community center? Because I meant community college. It is now. What are you talking about? We, we weren't talking about a community college. 
Oh, I thought as I was coming back in, you guys were talking about a community center. We were talking about uh, coffee. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Oh, coffee, community. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't like coffee. I don't like community. And now it's time for Ask Old Oswald. Ask me what? Who are you? Well, we had an interesting thing happen this week. I posted a show segment definition on Instagram, not really thinking about the fact that the segment's called Ask Old Oswald, and a bunch of people chimed in with questions. They actually have questions for Oswald, so we brought him back again. This this is almost three weeks in a row. We did skip a week, but welcome back, Oswald. Yeah, sure. Welcome back. Good to see you, Oswald. Thanks for being here. It's past my bedtime. We we understand that, Oswald. I really appreciate you coming out here again. Uh, you, you know, you've you've got some some fans. Uh, uh, I, I like fans. I'm, I really would like an air conditioner, but my wife won't let me buy one. Um, that that's not the kind of fans we're talking about, Oswald. But but that's maybe maybe we could talk talk to me later. I'll see if I can get you an air conditioner. <clears throat> um, Tanda, do you want to hit Oswald with uh, t- tell us who sent in the question and. Uh, and, and ask him. Yeah, our, our friend Andy, Andy Pugh asks, uh, would you rather fight 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Well, what what kind of question is that? There's, there's, there's no such thing as horses the size of ducks. I've birthed many a horse, and they, they, the smallest you can get one is about the size of a large dog. You, you can't make them smaller than that. That's, that's just nonsense. And and a and a horse-sized duck, well, there's no way that thing could fly. It's, I, I don't. Yeah. First off, you don't want to have any kind of a fight with fowl because they don't they don't play. You know they're dirty fighters, and um, especially on the farm, you know they're always muddy. And uh, what what was the question? Well, you know, I think it was kind of a hypothetical question, but you know, if there were a horse-sized duck, I mean, how would you? Would you take it on? Well, if I'm understanding your question correctly, uh, I would shoot it. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the, yeah. That, you see, know the old I, saying. You know, don't don't bring a knife to a duck fight. Apparently. I'll be honest. I I didn't think there was a right answer to that question, but he nailed it. I I I, I got to agree. Um, that's the first time I've heard that particular answer. Oswald, uh, I'm glad we brought you this question because I think a lot of people really don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, Tom, did you do you want to hit Oswald with a question? Yeah, next one for Oswald is uh, wood turning from Wood Turning by Alan Scannell. Have you got a cure for the cold? For the cold? Well, well yeah, build a fire. But uh, that that's true. Yeah, fire would would cure the cold. I mean, if he's really cold, he could get a blanket, too. I'm not sure that's what... Uh, I don't think that's what he meant. Maybe you should clarify, Tom. Yeah, I think he's talking about, like, a cold as in the common cold, a sickness, an illness. I'm cold all the time during the winter, and I don't know, it's pretty common for me. Maybe it's because I'm old. I didn't used to feel the cold when I was younger. But, yeah, you gotta bundle up. Yeah. But wear warmer clothes. Uh, is he running outside with t-shirts or something? You know, I'm not sure. We could. Uh, 
I didn't I didn't know we were going to have a follow-up section, but I suppose I could follow up with him. We'll definitely have to ask him. All right, Oswald, we've got another one from Andy Pugh, and he wants to know how often should I prune my spaghetti trees? Spaghetti trees? What kind of question is that? There's no such thing as a spaghetti tree. Is this man mentally unstable? That's debatable. Many of us have asked that question ourselves. My, my wife makes all kinds of pasta, and it doesn't grow on trees. I don't know. Something, something, something's not right with this person. Once again, yes, we all, we all agree with you on that. Uh, I know, Tanda, I know you have the last question for Oswald. I'm, I'm really interested to hear the answer for this. Okay, Oswald, this, uh, this I think, is a fairly straightforward question, and uh, I'm asking for a friend. We'll, we'll call her Crafty Old Winch. Would Oswald like to date, well, excuse me, would Oswald like a date with a slightly younger woman who has all her teeth? Oh, my. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Oswald, are you still in there combing your beard? Uh, she's found me. I'm almost done. Uh, uh, no need to come in. What are you doing in there? You on that TikTok again? <laughs> she's coming. I gotta go. Uh, Oswald? Oswald? I think we lost him. Did we lose him? I don't know. Oh. The feet's still alive. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, <clears throat> well, that that that's it. That's all the questions. Uh, I, I hope you guys enjoyed. If you have any more questions for Oswald, please send them in. Uh, Instagram is probably the best way, but you can also hit us up on the uh, Maker Skills email, Maker Skills Podcast at gmail.com. I think we might have tuckered old Oswald out. I need a nap. All right, boys and girls, it's time for short and sweet. Tanda, do you have anything you want to say to wrap up the show? Yeah, if you're interested in the uh, glass lathe, certainly, but just if you're interested in electronics as well, the Farney Nixie Tube project is a really interesting video on how he kind of went from just a fascination with them to realizing that you couldn't buy them to making his own that's a that's a good series and farney is an awesome name like if you have a dog and you don't know what to name him farney is like a come here farney it's better than 86 we should pass that along to oswald was he on 86 or was 87 lost track of his dogs yeah he's got a bunch tom you got anything you want to bring in for short and sweet i do i have been addicted to a new youtube channel it is luke towen t-o-w-a-n and he does realistic diorama scenery sometimes with trains sometimes with houses sometimes with other buildings and rivers and waterfalls and they're tiny i think they're usually like 187th scale uh there's a number around there that's like a standard and i mean these are like 30 minute videos of him creating these things and they are just they're mesmerizing uh, they're amazing. They're amazing. So this is a skill that I'm going to head towards soon. I'm just picturing that discussion of we, we've got to standardize. We've got to standardize on a scale. How about one eighty seventh? Yeah, that's that's it. You know, I think the person threw it out there as a joke and then it stuck. You know, I'm taking a completely different direction with this. I think that's the murder scale because one eight seven is the code for murder on the police scanner. Ah, it's it's actually. One, 
87.0857142 scale. Oh, that's even better. Which happens to be... This is no joke. I didn't make this up. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Uh, in North America, the, the National Model Railroad Association standard, S-1.2 General Standard Scale, defines HO scale as 3.5 millimeter. It's it's HO scale trains. It's like a it's a standard train scale. I I'm gonna read more into this because I think it's ridiculous. <clears throat> yeah, I don't believe that at all. I I will send. I'll give you a screenshot. I will. I'll do it. It's in your inbox. <clears throat> I'm not gonna read it. I'm I'm sure it's like the distance of the king's uh, across the king's left nostril or something. Yeah, that's probably what it was. <laughs> yes, the his nose hair length in proportion to yeah. his elbow. Yeah. Now, that makes more sense to me. The king's nostril size is way more <laughs> efficient than whatever the <laughs> you just said. I, I'm not, not. Any last thoughts, PJ? For some reason, the only thing that I'm thinking of right now, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, I'm going to spoil it for you. So the last episode had Boba Fett in it, and it was awesome. And you should watch it because Boba Fett is bad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now for some nonsense. So I'm not exactly sure how we should broach this topic since last week's episode dropped. The sales of Johnson's super masking tape have spiked quite a bit. And there's been well, there's, there's been some news incidents. Is that is that what we want to call them? There's 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 been some things in the news. I've seen a few of them. And I think that, you know, there was that uh, there was that picture on the internet that it kind of looked like Tom, but I wasn't sure. He was wearing a mask. I plead the fifth. I think that I, I think that made the, the popularity rise. I think that was part of it. But uh, some of the things people did, I found unbelievable. That, that one guy that rescued the kitten that had fallen out of that burning tree, I mean, that guy was legitimately like a hero. You know, he, he did a good deed. I don't think he even needed the tape. I mean, he probably would have been better off without it you know what i mean like got his face in the paper and everything but that guy i don't have a problem with well he had a genuine skill i mean it wasn't you know like movie superhero skill but he had the skills to rescue the cat so i mean it was real skill not not like the guy who actually tried to stop a train thinking that the masking tape was going to give him the superhero skill i mean i think we need to be clear that you have to already be a superhero. It only protects your identity. It won't stop a train. I, I don't understand how someone could get that confused. I mean, uh, Tom, I mean, you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I can, I can understand how someone can confuse that. Yeah, 
how do you how do you understand? I mean, it, it's a roll of tape. I mean, how does it, that doesn't give anybody super pure? You know. I'm just saying I can sympathize with the guy that thought the tape would give him superpowers. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm not. I, I can understand the confusion. I can understand. Okay, the okay. Let's let's just let's just say for argument's sake that that tape was going to give you a superpower. It would be the ability to stick to things because that's what tape does. I mean, it was expensive tape. I would have thought. I made some assumptions. Well, it, and the tape itself kind of has superpowers. I mean, it's really durable stuff because it's made for superheroes. So, in, in fact, if they hadn't found the tape in the smudge on the tracks, we probably wouldn't even be having this discussion. But I think that's how they tied it back to us, and or at least that's what the attorney said. So that brings us back to our legal consultation from our lawyer who doesn't want to be named for some reason. <clears throat> uh, we we do not. Uh, first off, we we don't we don't represent Johnson's Hardware or Super Masking Tape. Uh, but if you do happen to purchase it through us for some reason, uh, you you have to take responsibility for your own actions. And uh, we don't we don't know who you are because you're you're wearing masking tape, so we can't identify you to begin with. Don't do anything dumb. Uh, and that's not from the lawyer. That's from me. Uh, the lawyer said a bunch of, I, I can't even, it was a bunch of legal terms that I can't pronounce. I mean, maybe Tanda can pronounce them, but I'm not that good. I couldn't even, I couldn't even pronounce them. They were, it was crazy. And it, and the letter we got was, what, seven, eight pages long, tiny little print. It was, it was just insane. I thought that was a record contract. No, no, that was that was amendments to our contract with Johnson's because they got in a bunch of trouble too. Oh, I I, th- I thought at the end of the Johnson's commercial they claim no responsibility. That's the whole thing. They they do. I mean, they have it they have it written in the fine print, but in our contract with Johnson's for sponsorship, there are some things we can't do now. Like what? I don't know. I didn't read it. I, I think there was some really weird stuff on page five about innuendo and things we can allude to and sizes of things. And I mean, it was, I don't know. It was gobbledygook. Was that the page that had like four paragraphs on squirrels? Well, it could have been. I mean, that I saw something about a squirrel, but my that page had coffee on it. I mean, not the word coffee. It had yeah. It had coffee on it. I'll be honest, I didn't read it either. I just I scrolled as fast to the bottom so that the accept button would light up. I hit the accept button and I just moved on with my day. Back to Angry Birds. And, Tom, you and can't whatnot. do that with legal documents. You have no idea what you just agreed to. No, you can't. No, you can. If you just scroll oh really God. fast, the accept button lights up, like I said. Sidebar, Tanda, I, I don't think Tom fully understands what's happening here. He may have just agreed to sell his soul to the devil, but he doesn't know because he just scrolled through it really quickly. I mean, it's, it's people, lawyers come from the devil. I mean, everybody knows that, right? I'm, you know, I'm starting to put this together. I think that Tom signed up to be a model for masking tape. Is that what it is? Now, the pic, the picture... The scrolling through the agreement, the thing the lawyer said about, you know, being the perfect size for the cape, it's all adding up. Oh, oh, well, uh, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. <clears throat> Tom, did... Yeah, yeah. Were, were, were you contacted by somebody after you hit that accept button? Uh, well, uh, hold on one second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, 
uh, on the advice of counsel, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right. You're not on trial, Tom. We're on a podcast. Yes, on on uh, on advice of <laughs> my counsel, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right. Okay. Well, uh, I guess that's all for this week. Uh, don't don't try to stop any trains. Bye for now. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>